Well, kia ora, hello and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. Yeah, so I'm here with you today because it's not a normal Sunday. Because something tragic and inexplicable has happened in one of your families who's also been one of our families at Shaw Vineyard. I'm here because your pastors, Matt and Jacinda, only arrived back in the wee hours of this morning and you might have heard in their voices how uh, tired they are um, from delayed flights and that kind of thing. And I'm here because, as Liam Neeson so memorably put it, I have a unique set of skills. (laughs) So for those of you I haven't met, I'm Fran. I'm married to Vic, uh, vineyard pastor extraordinaire. He just uh, ticked over 30 years uh, pastoring uh, a couple of weeks ago, so in the one community, which is pretty rare these days. Um, We pastored together, but a stronger call for me ultimately was to spiritual direction and care of souls. And so it's as a spiritual director that I come to you this morning, not to fix you or do therapy. I'm not a therapist but to offer some resources and ways of praying in times of desolation and difficulty because I understand that you've just begun a a teaching series on prayer and that today Jacinda intended to talk about prayer in desolation and difficulty. So I'm here to help you tend to your own soul. No one else can do it for you. We are going to talk about grief and about storms, we've already sung about them actually, about times of difficulty, and for some of you it may tap into things that have happened recently or even a long time ago, and so I just encourage you to look after yourself this morning, if it just feels a bit intense, feel free to get up, go outside, sit in the sun, have a cuppa, wait till it's over, go home, Um, listen to the recording later if there is one, you know, don't feel that you've got to stay here because it's church. Like, no, do what feels appropriate for your own care in this. But I can tell you, I won't be doing hands-on ministry at the end. We're going to look at some scripture. We're going to look at some art. It might not be very pretty art, but I think it will be good and honest. And I hope it will resource you for your journey in difficult times whenever those might strike. Now, over the years, I've realized that prayer is a lot of things. So first up today, let's hold a really wide net of what prayer can be. And I like this poem that's going to come up in a moment by Jan Richardson, which expresses this. And you might recognize some of your own prayers in here, which you may never previously have named as prayer. There are prayers inscribed on our bones, prayers we carry in our marrow, prayers that run through our blood. There are prayers we carry with ancestral memory, prayers passed down from generation to generation, prayers that spiral in us like DNA. There are prayers we carry in the most hidden parts of ourselves, prayers we've never breathed aloud, prayers that have taken form in this world, prayers that have made their way into letters and diaries and books. Prayers that have taken the form of stitches 
and poetry and paintings. Prayers that have bodied forth as compassion, as justice, as mercy, as grace. There are prayers of blessing and of lament. Prayers we pour out for others, prayers we often offer for our own selves. There are prayers whispered, wailed, shouted, groaned, prayers sung and laughed and wept and dreamed. There are prayers of stillness and of silence, prayers in the breath and in the belly, prayers in the beating heart and in the space between the beats. There are prayers. It's strangely timely, and I think I'm seeing it as a grace, that in the midst of the floods, the cyclones, and loss of life, uh, that it's also the beginning of Lent. This might not mean that much to you, but it could mean a lot. The Christian community this week marked the beginning of the journey towards the suffering and death of Jesus. Lent is an embodied way of engaging with Jesus' humanity, intentionally walking with him for 40 days to Jerusalem, to his last meal with his friends, and choosing to stay with him over the three days of Easter, his trial, his crucifixion, his burial, and the loss of him through the shadowed strangeness of Holy Saturday, to the joy of Easter Sunday, and the ascension. Lent has a rhythm <clears throat> and a time frame. Call it a scaffold, if you like. In a difficult time, having a scaffold is good. Also, knowing others are doing the same thing is a great support. So if you feel that you'd benefit from a daily rhythm and the sense of traveling in the steps of your Jesus with others, historically, because Christians have done this for generations, and are doing it right now in New Zealand and around the world, if that sounds good to you, then maybe the invitation of Jesus to you is to come with me this Lent. You know, in Lent, Jesus gives us the opportunity to be in the shoes of Judas and his betrayal. Gives us the opportunity to be in Peter's shoes and his denial. To help Jesus carry his cross with Simon of Cyrene to take down his body with Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, to anoint and wrap his body with the women, and to be in the agony of grief with his mother and Mary Magdalene, and to bear witness in your own life to the resurrection. I mean, if ever Lent and Easter were to mean anything, it's surely now. So I've got a couple of good Lent resources up there that you might like to, to have a look at. If you're drawn towards art and music and video and that sort of stuff, art and theology is a great one. The others are more centered in the scripture and taking us into the story. Much of our Christian teaching focuses on the upbeat, right? The promised land, the healing moments, breakthrough and especially in the evangelical, charismatic part of the whānau that we are in. It's not much fun talking about darkness, about wilderness experiences, and the long, long periods of waiting for God to do something. 
But a lot of the Bible is absolutely about this stuff. And the Bible is the library, 66 books of the people of God spanning 6,000 years. Let me tell you, there's so much waiting. 40 years here, 400 years there, and look at us. We've been waiting 2,023 years for Jesus to come back. You know, those big time frames give scope for a wide range of human experience with God. And we see the language of desolation. My soul faints. My feet are slipping. I'm mired in clay. And anybody who's been dealing with North Shore clay right now <laughs> will know what a vivid metaphor that is. I'm dry bones. I'm weary and in a weary land. So landscapes and environments also speak to this. The wilderness, the cave, the violent storm, the depths of the sea. These uncharted and uncontrollable spaces are the scene for struggle, wrestling with angels or demons of transformation and also of encounter with ourselves and with God. I want to keep bringing us back to Jesus in all of this because he is our Emmanuel. He is God with us, as we've already kind of been leaning into this morning. So just over the next little while, I want us to look at um, desolation or that time of difficulty as a landscape of wilderness with Jesus in it. Then we'll look at a storm with Jesus in it. And lastly, we'll look at Jesus himself, the lamb with us. You know, Jesus had a soft spot for wild spaces. He was drawn to them as places to pray. But there's one that was not voluntary. Mark, in his Gospels, tells us that the Holy Spirit drove Jesus there. And I kind of had this weird image of Jesus getting in a car with the Holy Spirit and being driven out of all of the familiar places in town. And it's kind of getting more and more barren. And then the Holy Spirit sort of leans over, opens the door, and Jesus gives him the, wait, what, face? <laughs> so for six weeks, Jesus is here. He has some experience of the wild places. But not like this. No food, no water, no going home. It's an experience that pushes him to his limits. He needs food. He needs water. This was not easier because he was God. Okay? He has emptied himself of all of his omni-qualities, his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, his omniscience, his all-knowingness. He's, he's emptied himself of those things. We mustn't make the mistake of telling ourselves he doesn't really understand our situation because he was God. No, he came as vulnerable as us. Otherwise, what's the point? So here he is. A way of praying in the wilderness is to let art help us, to notice what we notice. Words sometimes are not that helpful. The wilderness is about being there, about feeling it. And maybe it's about paying attention to some of the little things, the small thing which nourishes us, our need for withdrawing a little bit from the heat, if you like. The way the wilderness might open the night up to us with the brilliance of stars and our own smallness. The wilderness sculpts us, and we have to do a lot of letting go. We mourn for our losses, 
and how we want to go back to our life as it was. But the truth is, we can never go back. We can return to the places, but we are not the same. We have to live from this new, stripped-back version of ourselves and our faith. And surprisingly, in time, that's okay. Maybe even easier for us than for the people who knew us before our wilderness experience and perhaps who haven't been there themselves. So we're going to look at this painting in a different way. You've probably already decided if you like it or not. If Jesus is too chunky or the colors are too dull, you've decided if it's a good painting or a bad painting, if it's nice or if it's ugly, if it's relatable or unrelatable. So now you've done all the things that your brain likes to do, classify, analyze, and divide into binary categories. I invite you to engage the eyes of your heart, your spiritual eyes, your compassionate eyes. So I'm just going to invite you to take a couple of breaths and close your eyes. We're not going to get up and do anything weird. It's just an opportunity to um, connect with compassion. So just close your eyes, take a couple of lovely breaths, and just notice where in your body you might feel a bit tense. Even this might make you a little bit anxious. And to just kind of relax and soften that bit. And especially around your face, your jaw, your eyes, your forehead. Just kind of soften it all. And just really be open to compassion. And this is the hard bit, staying with that compassionate space. Open your eyes and bring that soft, compassionate gaze to Jesus in the wilderness. And just gently let your eyes be drawn to where your eye wants to rest. We're charismatics, we can do this. It's the Holy Spirit helping us to see something. Don't worry if you're looking at a part that feels unsettling. Just try not to slip back into the judgments. Just notice where your attention is drawn. So now we take it a layer deeper. How does this part of the image speak to me about my life right now? Not the world, not New Zealand, not my community, not my church, not my family, not somebody else. What is this saying to me? And now, because Jesus is Emmanuel and with us, maybe there's something just in the privacy of your own heart you'd like to say to Emmanuel about what you're noticing. So I'll give you a moment for that. And just be open to an invitation of God to you. What is the invitation? Don't worry if you didn't hear anything or notice anything. Because the last movement of a prayer like this is to just rest in how loved you are. So I'm going to let you do that. Just rest for a moment. 
in the loving gaze of God. You might just want to linger there and I'll carry on. Prayer in times of desolation may involve more of what we just did. Reflection, inner dialogue, listening rather than speaking, resting in love. Desolation is tiring. It's good to remember to pray as we can, not as we can't. Former ways of prayer may not be helpful or even doable. So prayer is silence. Prayer is sometimes work, going to work. Prayer is song. Prayer is walking. Prayer is the loving gaze. All those things that were in that poem also are prayer. So what can we learn from Jesus' time in the wilderness? It was initiated by God. Some wilderness times are, but not all of them. Others are due to our neglect of our spiritual life. And others are thrust on us by circumstances. The sudden disaster, the slow burn of disappointment or an unrelenting situation with no change in sight, a diagnosis, those things can also affect how we pray and how we feel about God. So discerning the cause of our wilderness experience will help us navigate it. Is it an internal cause or an external cause? Is it God or me or some other thing? Those are really good questions to ask. Even if God is uncontactable, unhearable, unreachable, and this is true for many who find themselves in the wilderness, God is still there because God cannot separate from us. God is present within the tiniest part of creation, experiences your situation from within you. You are God's home. This too is the mystery of the incarnation and and the cross that Jesus takes into his body, his death, his resurrection, all of our suffering. It's not a partial work, it's a finished work. Irrespective of our gender or race, Jesus takes our bodily experiences into his at the cross. And if that's not true, you can count me out. So let's go back to the wilderness painting again. In this wilderness of Jesus, we see him befriending or being befriended by a wilderness creature. Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus' only companions in the wilderness were the wild animals. A companion is someone you break bread with. They weren't hunting him down or sniffing him out for a snack. They were his friends. So... The creatures were drawn to him and companioned him. And this is true for us too, often in difficult times. Our companion animals are consoling presences. They have their own knowing. And there's a strong tradition in our faith of the presence of creatures testifying to God's love. And I've got a lot of stories I could tell you if you need more on that. Nature is God's. And if there's a tui that appears in the tree outside your window every day that sings and brings you a moment of joy, then take a moment to thank that bird and thank God for it, as St. Francis did. It's in our tradition. 
Let your heart be lifted and your burdens shared by the creatures God has put in your life. Let the trees and the gardens, the beaches and the tides speak to you in their ancient language. Let them touch you. God is in this. So we see Jesus holding the scorpion. He contemplates his death. This robust young man is looking death in the eyes without judgment. This little deadly creature is vulnerable too. It has a place in Jesus' hands. He doesn't crush it with a rock like I would or run away from it, which is much more likely for what I would do. So the scorpion reminds us of the little deaths of the desert, the loss of ways of being with God that used to be easy, other losses, life transitions, job loss, empty nest, loss of health, also grief. What do you notice about how he holds this difficult and unlovely thing? How might this help you? The second image I'd like to draw our attention to today is the storm. And there are several storms in the Gospels. You'll be familiar with them. All of them scary and intimidating. We see the friends of Jesus terrified and upset. And we see Jesus as well. The story that probably leaps to mind is when Jesus walks across the water to them. But the one we're going to today highlights the seeming indifference of Jesus. Luke describes it this way. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. We've been in literal storms all summer, haven't we? My sister said she wants a refund. (laughs) after this I'm going around to help shovel more silt out of her house it's been horrifying and it still is I was quite anxious on Friday when that rain started falling again we have a long haul ahead as a country and many of us are under pressure and I'm so glad that our scriptures show us the storms and that they allow us to hear the cries of people like us terrified people Um, in an upbeat sermon I'd be taking you straight to the end of this account look He got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and it died down and it became calm. Glory, hallelujah. But this is, we're on the downbeat. We're going to stay with the uncomfortable bit because this is where we are. There was a furious squall. Yes, yes, there was. Whatever that is for you, the furious thing that you could not prevent. And you're in it because Jesus somehow said, let's get in the boats and go to the other side. It wasn't your idea. And this whole situation is overwhelming. You're swamped by it. And Jesus is not paying attention on this little cushion there, asleep, checked out while we're frantically trying not to drown. Yes, I know the miracle bit happens. But the experience of Jesus not answering, not hearing, somehow being asleep at the wheel, is right here. It happens. 
it happened to the disciples. What can I tell you about how to pray when Jesus isn't responding? Well, what do we see in the scripture and the painting? Yelling. The Psalms are great for this. It's okay to yell at God and say, don't you care? Can't you see what's happening? In the Psalms, there's 150, right? 66 of those are lament. Lament is a category that encompasses grief, complaint, pleading, and remorse. Remorse is when we feel bad for the thing we've done. So we lament for ourselves and our part. There's another category as well. There are only eight of these. These are the Psalms of imprecation. This is the, the Psalm where we curse our enemies and we ask God to do mean things to them, the people who hurt us. The Psalms also are the prayer book of Jesus. It's, it's all there. We're given the language for our pain by people who've already been there. And we have permission to use this for ourselves. You can take one of these Psalms and put your own situation in there. It's really helpful to do that. And then you kind of see it and you get to say it out loud to God. Or you could sing it. The Porter's Gate, I've got a couple of resources here, have created an album of lament using these psalms. And so have Bifrost Arts. They are really lovely. They, they're not, they don't kind of rack you up, but they just say things how they are. And one of the songs is, Wake Up, Jesus. If you feel like Jesus is asleep in your boat, then that might be just the song that you need to help express that. It's hard to sing lament songs in a worship service like, like we do it, which means corporate expressions of lament never happen in charismatic environments. So do it yourself. You're allowed. Your grief, your complaint, your anger, your fear, your disappointment, your fatigue, pour it out to God. The thing with lament is it's not focused on God triumphantly coming to sort everything out and calming the storm. The thing with lament is it's firm belief that we are heard. So back to the boat for a moment. Even in the worst storm, even if he is not responding Jesus is our Emmanuel. Would you rather be in the boat alone? Maybe his calm sleep has something to offer as well as he's in your boat. And lastly, there's the lamb. So we've got some lovely soft fleece that we're going to hand out. It will be familiar to some of you, this stuff, I'm sure. Before being driven out into the wilderness in the Holy Spirit's car, Jesus was baptized by his cousin, John the prophet, John the Baptist. John's doing his thing at the river, calling out the hypocrites. Yeah, pull a piece off and keep it. He welcomes those who want to rinse off their jaded ways of being, and he looks up and he sees Jesus coming towards him to be baptized himself, which is a bit of a shock to John. But in a deeply prophetic moment, John pauses and announces to the crowd, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the cosmos. Side note, the cosmos did not ask for that. <laughs> so
So personally, lamb is the image of God that's become most meaningful to me. Not because I came up with it, but because in the encounters I've had, these moments of transformation in my faith have, have been with the lamb. When I'm struggling with God, somehow the lamb shows up. So being aware of who God is to you is really important. Some of our images of God are harmful, even toxic. Like a splinter, they hurt us when we try and walk or move. So notice who God is for you and how maybe God wants to be for you. So this little piece of lambness is coming to you to connect with a little bit. John invites us to behold the lamb. This lamb, of course, is to be led to slaughter. The blood of lambs painted the lintels during the Exodus Passover. The lamb is eaten, to recall this. The lamb is innocent, gentle, playful, and harmless. The lamb is life-giving, providing companionship and wool, a milk, a sheep's milk, even other lambs if the lady sheep gets a boyfriend. So the lamb is more than just a unit of production that we might see a lamb as here. In Psalm 23, we are the sheep and the lambs that are led to green pasture for rest and nourishment. We're guided through the valley of the shadow of death by the shepherd. Jesus identifies himself with both shepherd and lamb. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, but he's also the lamb who lays down his life without resistance or protest. Lent and Easter take us directly to the Passover and these images of the lamb. So as we come to a close today, I'd like to offer you the Lamb of God as a gentle and consoling image of God. The Lamb is profoundly Christian, biblical, and accessible. The Lamb won't be shocked by anything you say. You can talk to the Lamb and tell the Lamb anything because lambs aren't capable of shock or disappointment in you. The lamb is also victorious. We see the lamb in John's vision and revelation, a lamb that was slain but is now the victor over death and the gentle ruler of a kind kingdom. The lamb is Jesus and Jesus is God. The lamb and you and the lamb and me, we can walk together through the valley of death's shadow we can be comforted. We can pray as we can, not as we can't. Don't force yourself to do stuff that is just going to exhaust you. The lamb doesn't ask any more, more of us than that. The lamb has died, but the lamb also lives. Here from the creeds, listen to this. Our faith community who've been saying this for 2,000 years. He was crucified by Pontius Pilate, died, was buried, and rose again on the third day, ascending into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. This is the ground of our faith. So you have a little piece of hiker's wool. You don't use hiker's wool when you're just kind of on your way to work. Hiker's wool is for the long walks the hard ones, where you might get blisters. Hiker's wool prevents 
blisters. The minute you feel the hot spot, you wrap it around your toe and the lanolin in that wool prevents the blister forming. How good is that? And this beautiful wool also can absorb up to 30% of its own weight in water. Could be sweat, could be tears, could be rain. It can absorb that and not be destroyed by it. It binds to the wool of your sock so it doesn't slide off, so it's grippy. So if you need that sense of being held, the grippiness of the lamb and his beautiful fleece is there for you. It smells a bit weird, but in a good way. So it might be just a prayer could just be to go and just sniff it in, if that's all you can manage. The lamb accepts that as prayer, or to snuggle with that bit of wool. If you need a bigger bit, I'm sure there's more. Something tangible is helpful. So you might think, oh, that, I don't need that wool. That's fine. But some of you will. Some of you will find it kicking around in the bottom of your bag or all, all balled together in your pocket months from now. and think, what was that? Oh, yeah, that's right. So God with you, eh? Yeah. So the lamb, just talk to him whenever you need to or have a snuggle like that. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you are keen to find out a little bit more about us as a church whanau or you'd like to touch base, then you can go to coast.org.nz and there you'll find information about our in-person services, online services, various resources and activities. Enjoy the day. Be blessed.